0: That's all I have for announcements. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 20. For the past several weeks, we have been studying the Ten Commandments, which God gave to his people through Moses on Mount Sinai. And this morning, we are coming to the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. It has been a real joy to be in this section of God's word together. And for me, particularly this week, I... has been a joy for me as I've as I've looked more closely at this commandment and God's heart for us to rest the Sabbath was a day of the week that God called his people in the Old Testament to rest from their work and to remember his goodness to them and I've been moved by God's kindness this week in this commandment and I'm I'm excited to preach this passage this morning So read with me here. We're gonna read Exodus 20. I'm gonna read the first two verses of the chapter which which intro the Ten Commandments and we're gonna jump down to verse eight as we look more closely at the fourth commandment. So beginning in verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. When it comes to obeying the Sabbath, there are a lot of different opinions that Christians have had when it comes to how the Sabbath should be observed. I don't know that there are any of the Ten Commandments that have created more controversy and confusion than the Fourth Commandment has produced. And over the years, Christians have asked the serious theological questions like, like, what exactly was the Old Testament commandment? And are we still required to obey it today? And perhaps most importantly, why does Chick-fil-A have to be closed on Sundays? <laughs> these, are the, these are the serious questions that we must wrestle with as Christians. Like, I mean, we, we respect Chick-fil-A, of course, for being closed on Sundays that on Sunday afternoon, when you're driving home, you don't have food at the house, you really start to question your fourth commandment convictions, right? But in in all seriousness, the the value of the Sabbath is mentioned many times throughout scripture. And the significance of the Sabbath to God's people would be quite hard to overstate. In fact, the the Sabbath is the longest commandment in the 10th, in the 10 commandments. Uh, murder has on, Do not murder has only four words in it, but the call to the Sabbath has an entire paragraph dedicated to it. Sabbath observance is also mentioned more than any other of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And breaking the Sabbath had serious consequences in Israel's day. It could be a capital offense in Israel's time to break this commandment. And Israel faced serious judgment throughout their history for their failure to observe this law. So the the Sabbath was a big deal for the people of Israel. And then as we come to the New Testament, we see this wonderful realization that that the Sabbath commandment and the call to rest find its deepest meaning in the gospel and in the person of Jesus Christ. The Sabbath is not forgotten in the New Testament, instead that the significance of it is seen even all the more clearly for the church. And so it is very appropriate for us to take an entire Sunday message to talk about the Sabbath and ask how might God call us to live in light of this commandment? And as we do so, we remember that, that as with all of God's commandments, they are for our good. God wants joy for us this morning. God wants to bless us this morning. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna gonna take a walk through God's word together and see how this idea of the Sabbath and the blessings of it to us unfolds throughout redemptive history. And as we do so, we are gonna, I believe, see the graciousness of God to us and his heart for our good. And my prayer, my hope this morning is that we're gonna find encouragement in this commandment. Maybe some challenges as well along the way, but great encouragement as well. Here's the the main idea of our message this morning. It's a simple one, is that God is kind to us by calling us to rest. God is kind to us by calling us to rest. And we're gonna unpack this main idea by, by asking four questions this morning. We're gonna ask what was the Old Testament commandment towards the Sabbath? We're gonna ask how did Jesus bring new meaning to the Sabbath? Are we still required to obey the Sabbath? And then finally, how can we pursue lives of rest? So first, what was the Old Testament Sabbath? The fourth commandment to obey the Sabbath is, is laid out for us in three parts. God says first what to do, he then says how to do it, and he says why to do it. The what is found in verse 8, where it says, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then in verses 9 through 10, God describes how we are to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, where, where he lays out the details of the commandment. And then finally, verse 11 tells us why we are to remember the Sabbath. Verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This verse gives us the reason for the fourth commandment, which is where I want to start this morning. The the reason for this commandment is found in the very nature of God himself. Exodus 20 references the beginning of history in the opening pages of Genesis where God created the universe and all that is in it. And in this account, we see that God worked in creation for six days and then on the seventh day, Genesis says, on the seventh day, God finished his work he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it Holy because God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. At the heart of the Sabbath commandment is the example of God himself, working for six days and then resting on the seventh. And so long before the 10 commandments were even given to Israel, we see God being a God of rest. We see him desiring rest for his people and for his creation. And so in the Ten Commandments then, we see this desire reiterated and reinforced again as God then commands Israel to obey the Sabbath. Verses nine through 10, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. And so we're gonna talk more about what type of work God is talking about here, but, but isn't it interesting that God commands us to rest why would we as a people need to be commanded to rest a lot of us probably think that sounds like a wonderful thing I would actually love to get more rest in life but apparently God understands something about ourselves that we often don't recognize think about the other Ten Commandments God says do not have false gods why does he say that to us He says that to us because we are often tempted to worship things other than the true God. God says do not murder. Why? Because we are people who are prone to hate and that often can even lead to murder. God says honor your father and your mother. Why? Because we don't like to honor our parents. And God says rest from your work. Why? Because apparently we don't like to rest. As much as we say that we like to rest, we still somehow always find ourselves overly busy, don't we? How often do we, do we bring work home because we feel compelled to accomplish and prove ourselves? We, we want our kids to be the best at school and in sports so we fill our evenings and our weekends with extracurriculars. We, we have trouble saying no to things. We live with the fear of missing out. We overcommit ourselves. This list could go on and on in how we busy ourselves. And at times, we can even take pride in how much we work. I don't know why this is happening to me, but when I'm on Instagram, I keep getting this ad that pops up, and it's it's some guy who clearly works out a lot, and he's standing next to his $200,000 sports car, and his pool next to his mansion, and he's yelling at me to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and to work harder and harder and don't take a day off because somebody will... Uh, Uh, over accomplish me and I usually just keep scrolling and then just go back to bed and and feel guilty about it later but but there's there's something about us humans that we as we strive for purpose and happiness in life what seems most intuitive to us is to just work harder and do more it's not that working hard is wrong But taking a a step back from our diligent labors and establishing regular patterns of rest seems often counterintuitive to the flourishing lives that we wish for ourselves. And often we resist God's design for us and we find ourselves enslaved to our labor. But God would have rest for us. Remember earlier in the book of Exodus, when, when Israel was enslaved to Egypt? And I'd, I'd never thought about this before, but I, I noticed this for the first time as I was studying this passage this week. Re- remember how, how demanding Pharaoh was of Egypt, refusing to let God's people rest. When Moses asked that they, had, that they could be released for rest and for worship, this is how Pharaoh responded. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And then Pharaoh punished them by taking away their bricks. And he made them do the same amount of work but with less resources. Pharaoh was a slave master who desired and demanded more and more work. But God rescued them from that slavery. He brought them out of Egypt to give them rest. Remember the first thing that Israel did when they crossed over the Red Sea to safety. They rested, they worshiped, they feasted together. And then later in the book, when when God led Israel out into the wilderness and they needed food, God provided manna for them. Remember that God called them to collect the manna six days out of the week, but on the seventh day to not collect it and to rest, and to trust that God would provide for them again the next day. And Israel didn't like that. They wanted to keep striving, they wanted to keep working, they wanted to keep collecting, not trusting that God would provide for them. But God wants rest for us. He's a gracious God who provides for us and wants rest for his people. But he knows that we often resist rest we we strive to accomplish we demand so much of ourselves and others and again it's it's not that work is bad god affirms the value of work he affirms the value of diligent labor but often we're not able to step back from that labor as god has designed for us to do and so god commands that we rest he includes the call to rest in the ten commandments and throughout Israel's history, we see that the Sabbath was a major part of their lives. It wasn't just about not working, but it was also about rejoicing in God's provision. In Deuteronomy, God says that the rest on the Sabbath was to remember the love that God had for them and his promise to continue to provide for them. Chapter 5, verse 15 says. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So Sabbath keeping is not just resting, it is rejoicing in our salvation. It It is a rejoicing that God did not intend for his people to do alone, but together, Part of Sabbath rest was gathering together as God's people and remembering his great salvation. Leviticus 23, 3 says, Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. Throughout scripture, the resting that God's people find comes through a ceasing of their normal labor and gathering together for corporate worship. Kevin DeYoung says, these were the twin engines of the Sabbath, worship and rest. The two are inextricably linked. We rest so that we might be free to worship God and we give God worship in part by trusting in him enough to rest. And throughout the Old Testament, God calls his people to trust in him by resting and by worshiping. And ultimately, this, this command is a, is a re-articulation of the first of the Ten Commandments, which is to have no other gods before the true God, to trust in him above all else, to worship him in our rest. That is the pattern of those who follow God in the Bible. And it is a gracious thing for God to call us to. And as we look now at the New Testament, we move to our second point, we're going to see that that this rest is ultimately found in the person of Jesus Christ. So how did Jesus bring new meaning to the Sabbath? There's a story in, in in the book of Mark that helps to shed light on how we are now to understand the Sabbath now that Jesus has entered the picture. So in Mark chapter 2, it says one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, this is referring to Jesus, and as, he made, and as they made their way through, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he, Jesus, said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now what's happening here is the Pharisees who... If you know the New Testament, we're, we're always looking for ways to discredit Jesus. They, they find him and his disciples eating grain in this field on the Sabbath. And they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath law. And, and many of you may have read this passage in the past and, and asked a similar question. Was Jesus and the disciples in fact breaking the Sabbath and what they were doing? And it's a, a complicated question because over the years... The, the Jewish leaders had added all types of additional stipulations to God's original command. In fact, they, they had added over 1,000 additional laws beyond what God had originally called them to do. And so if you, if you look at the original commandments in the Old Testament, you'll see that Jesus was not actually violating any of them. What the Pharisees had done is they had taken a command from the Lord, which again was meant for the good of his people and they added to it, and they judged others for not abiding by them. And Jesus would have none of that. In his response, he he both exposes the legalism and the hypocrisy of the day, and at the same time, he also shows how he himself is where we ultimately find our true Sabbath rest. And he does so in two ways. First, he mentions a story in the Old Testament, is found in the book of 1 Samuel, where David, King David and his men who were, who were fleeing from their enemies when they were desperately in need of food, they took bread from the temple, which by law of that day could only be eaten by the temple priests. But Jesus seemingly shows approval for what they did. It seems that Jesus is saying that, that no ceremonial law, particularly ones that you make up, Uh, outweighs the fundamental needs for human life. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying the Sabbath was meant for the good of God's people. It is God's kindness to call us to rest. And you, Pharisees, in your self-righteousness, have added on to that command so that now you can judge others and yourselves appear to be more righteous. But then Jesus makes his real argument. He says in verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now this statement really gets the Pharisees worked up. In the verses following this one, we see the Pharisees plotting how they might kill Jesus. Because apparently they had forgotten about that other commandment. And the reason for this, the reason for their anger, is that Jesus is himself referring to himself as Lord of the Sabbath. He is claiming to be God himself. Only the creator of the universe can be Lord of the Sabbath, the one who made all things, the one who holds the universe together, the one who met Moses on Mount Sinai, the one who gives the law and stands over the law. Jesus is saying, the Sabbath was given by me and the Sabbath is about me. And this is extremely important statement when it comes to our understanding of the Sabbath today. D.A. Carson says that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath is not only a messianic claim of grand proportions, but it raises the possibility of a future change or reinterpretation of the Sabbath. As we continue through the New Testament, we're gonna see evidence that the coming of Jesus does in fact bring a new meaning to this law, a more glorious meaning. Something better. And we see hints of this change in many places throughout the New Testament. One of these places is in Colossians 2, where Paul says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now there's some debate over what these verses mean, um, but one thing is clear, that, and that's that the Old Testament, the laws, the traditions, they were all looking forward to a day when Christ would come. And now that Christ has come, a, a deeper meaning has been given to the Sabbath, where we now find our true rest in Jesus himself. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is calling people to have faith in him. And he says, come to me all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Church, here's why Christ has come. Christ has come that you might have rest. And the rest that Jesus offers is so much better than any other rest that we can find. So much more than physical rest, but a deeper rest, a rest of the soul. So much of our lives are a a striving to accomplish, a a striving to prove ourselves, a a living in anxiety of whether we are good enough. We cannot be satisfied unless we have that 4.0 GPA. We can't be satisfied unless our homes look like the homes we see on Instagram. We we do not feel worthy to come before God unless we clean ourselves up first. But deep inside, we know that we will never measure up on our own. And so we find ourselves enslaved to the work of proving ourselves. But it never seems to satisfy, does it? There's a movie called Chariots of Fire It was about two runners who were training for the 1924 Olympics. In the movie, one of the runners, Harold Abrahams, was asked what compelled him to train so hard. He was training for the 100 meter dash, the fastest race in the Olympics. And they asked him, what compels you to train to work so hard for this? His answer was this. He says, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. His value, his purpose in life was wrapped up in his ability to approve himself on the track and to win gold. But in contrast, the other runner, Eric Liddell, who was a devout Christian, refused to compete on Sundays in order to obey the Sabbath and and actually ended up forfeiting his chance to compete in the race and he lost his chance for gold. And the reason he did this was because he said he saw his life as service to God. And his satisfaction was found in Christ. And perhaps the the true triumph of this movie is that his joy was found not in his own accomplishments, but in Christ alone. And church, how many of us often identify more with that first runner? that we have just that short amount of time to prove our existence, to justify our existence, because we, we find our completeness in something other than in Christ. And we find ourselves unable to ever really, truly rest. We, we overcommit. We say, we are afraid to say no, so we, we live busy lives, not always because we are compelled to do good, but because we are afraid. We are afraid of missing out, We are afraid of not meeting the expectations of our family or our bosses. We are afraid that we will be left feeling incomplete if we don't work harder and harder and harder. But understanding who we are in Christ gives us rest from these things. We find that rest when we remember that our completeness is not found in our accomplishments but in the accomplishments of Christ on our behalf. For those of you who are going off to college this year, If you are in Christ, you are complete without that 4.0 GPA. For moms, if you are in Christ and you're having people over later today, you are complete in him, even if your house is a complete mess. If you are a new Christian, remember that you are complete in Christ even if you see many ways that you still struggle in your faith. For church leaders, you are complete in Christ even if your fellowship group or your ministry idea or your sermon isn't that good. For those who are longing to be married, you are complete in Christ without the validation of a love from someone else. The reason that we can find rest in all of these circumstances is that we have been made righteous in God's eyes because of Christ. His death on the cross has removed our condemnation and he now delights in us as he delights in his own son. He does not ask you to prove yourself anymore. His yoke is light. He offers rest. In Christ, you are complete. When God looks at you, he sees Christ, and he says, this is good. Nothing else needs to be accomplished. The only person you need to seek approval from is God, And in Christ you have it, church. Christ has offered a rest far deeper than you could ever find. A rest deeper than even the Old Testament Sabbath. The the book of Hebrews speaks about Israel's Sabbath and how, how it ultimately pointed towards a day where we would find our rest in Christ. And we find that rest now, but also a greater day of rest is coming when Christ will return and will bring us to himself. Hebrews 4, 9 says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For those who are in Christ, we have the hope of a future day where we will enjoy work without toiling. We will worship without conflicted hearts. We will be free from the struggle of sin. We will fully and eternally rest. But it's not just for the age to come, church. But now as well, Hebrews speaks of the rest that is available to you this morning. We who are in Christ have already tasted the powers of the age to come. We who have believed enter that rest. God's word does not say that we will enter, but we have entered. One day fully, yes, but today truly we can rest. And how do we enter this rest? Not mainly by setting aside our work, but by believing in Jesus and what he has accomplished for you. It is a rest that leads to trust and worship. And that rest is available on the Sabbath, but on every day of our lives. God is a God of rest, and he has provided the way for us to have it. As we continue on now, we we come to the, the last two questions this morning where we want to ask ourselves, so what does this mean for us today? We've seen this Old Testament commandment, but then we see that, that we find our truest rest in Christ. So it leaves us with the question, what about that Old Testament law? Many of us might be asking this morning, the Sabbath was such a big deal in the Old Testament, but now that Christ has come, are we still required to obey the Sabbath? And the reality is that there are many Christians who have thought differently about this over the years. And it seems that this was true also in the New Testament church as well. Paul, in speaking about the Sabbath to the New Testament churches, writes in the book of Romans, he says, One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And later he writes to the book of, he writes in Colossians let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Now to be clear, there are different opinions about what these verses are speaking to. There are some who would say that Paul is speaking about how Christ has fully fulfilled the Mosaic law and the fourth commandment is one of those ceremonial laws that we are no longer bound to. Thomas Schreiner says, "What Paul says here is remarkable, for he lumps the Sabbath together with food laws, festivals like the Passover and new moons. All these constitute shadows that anticipate the coming of Christ. And since Christ has now come, observing the Sabbath is no longer a matter of obedience or disobedience." But there are others who would hold a different view and say the Sabbath that that Paul is talking about in these verses is not the the fourth commandment refers to other Jewish Sabbaths and holidays, and would say that Christians are still bound to the Sabbath as Israel was. And so there's there's disagreement among Christians even today, and we can we can respect each other in these differences. Paul even seems to hint at that in his letter to Romans, which we just read, where he says, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So Paul is saying. We need to recognize that there are those whose consciences will lead them in different directions in application of the Sabbath, and we need to, to love one another, recognizing that there is liberty in how we apply these things. But with that said, we ought to search Scripture and ask with a great seriousness, what does the fourth commandment mean for us today? Because no matter what camp you find yourself in, it is clear that God, in his kindness to us, has called us to the value and the vision behind the fourth commandment. Because it is is rooted in the timeless nature of who God himself is. It's a commandment that flows from God's endless desire that we would have rest. And so the timeless will of God behind the Sabbath commandment is something that Christians must pursue and must celebrate. And throughout the Bible and throughout church history, God's people have celebrated and pursued the value of the Sabbath by, by ceasing from their work and by celebrating Christ together. So here's where I want to I close this morning with our, with our final point. I want to ask, how can we pursue lives of rest? And I want to get really practical here this morning, and, and the question I want to leave us with is, is how might we grow to be a more restful people? And by that, I, I don't just mean how might we do less work. I mean, I mean, how can we apply the biblical principles of rest and worship and be a people who are more satisfied and joyful in Christ? And so I want to finish with some some practical ideas that I I hope will will help guide us as we seek to find greater rest in Christ. And up front, I want to say that that these ideas are not commands from God. We we have spoken already about the the freedom to develop our own conviction on these things, but but we see from the beginning of creation a call from God to, to cease from our work and to rest. And now that the the fullness of the gospel has been revealed to us, we we have this even greater hope in Christ which would cause us to long even more for the rest we can find in him. So how do we do this? How do we apply the Sabbath to our lives today? First thing I I would say is to make one day of the week a day free of work. From creation, God has established an order where it seems healthy for us to, to demonstrate our trust in him by committing to rest from our work. It is, it is honoring to the Lord to establish healthy boundaries in your life that allow you to have a day free from your normal labors. And this could be as simple as saying, I work Monday through Friday, and then Saturday is, is chores and catching up on work, and then Sunday, I don't do those things. Now, Obviously, many of us don't work Monday through Friday, so we, we'd have to find a different system for us. We, we as pastors, we work Tuesday through Sunday, so Monday is the day that we rest from our labors. But establish a day of the week where you trust the Lord enough to say, I don't need to get started on tomorrow's projects. That basket of laundry can wait until tomorrow. The, the world will go on without my striving. And this doesn't mean that we don't do anything, but, but find things that are refreshing for your soul. God wants refreshment for your soul. Do things that are replenishing to your body, to your mind, to your soul. Things that will help you to go back to work with fresh energy to be spent for the good of others and for the glory of God. And this will look different for everyone. And so for families here, this might mean talking through what Sundays look like, how much you can commit to doing so that everyone can find that refreshment that you need. If you're a college student, perhaps make Sunday a day where you do not study, where where you set aside the labor of homework and give yourself to rest. Find a day and make it a day of rest. Christ will be honored in that, your family will be blessed in that, and you will find joy in Christ as you do so. Second idea, prioritize corporate worship. In both the Old and the New Testament, the pattern of God's people has been to have a day of the week where they gather together and they rejoice in the gospel. Which, which by the way, is is why in the New Testament church and now we celebrate uh, on Sunday mornings and not on Saturday, which was the original Jewish Sabbath. The reason we meet on Sundays and not Saturdays is because Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so resting is is not just setting aside chores and homework, but it's celebrating in what Christ has accomplished. And God calls us to do this together. There is joy in being together on Sunday mornings. There is a joy that is different than any other day of the week. There is a refreshment that God gives us that we cannot find apart from being together. Hebrews 10 talks about not forsaking the gathering together of believers. and churches, this means so much more than just showing up on Sunday mornings. It means prioritizing the fellowship of believers so much that we are willing to structure our lives around these times together. There are ways that we can treasure Sunday mornings that is more than this, just the thing that we do before football later that afternoon. We can sometimes, I think, have the, the tendency to come crashing out of the week into Sunday mornings rather than seeing Sunday mornings the climax of our weeks. A commitment to rest in Christ is a commitment to worship with His church. Christ has given His life for the church. He loves the church. That is how much we ought to treasure the fellowship of believers as Christ has done so himself. And and he has given us each other so that we might stir one another up and build one another and point one another towards him. Do we treasure these times together, church? And I would encourage you, friends, and, and even as a, a pastoral exhortation here, plan your Sundays in a way which prioritizes these times together. Come on time to church. So we are, we are settled in. We are, we are here as worship begins, as we read the call to worship, as God's word is read. We are here ready to engage, encourage one another, worship God together. Come early Join us at 9.30 here at the beginning of the stage where we, where we pray and ask God to bless our times together. And church, when the service is over, stay. Fellowship with those around you. If, if you. if you find yourself rushing off quickly every Sunday because of chores or work, because you need a nap, because you stayed up too late Saturday night, then, then maybe we need to grow in, protre- in protecting the treasure that is the gathered meeting on Sunday mornings. I believe that God's word says that that we will not find rest unless we treasure these moments together. There ought to be a a restlessness when we are not able to be together as God's people and remember what Jesus has done for us. And church, pursue these things not just for the refreshment of your own soul, but for the sake of others. Come to church knowing that, that your worship your serving, your friendship, brings much needed refreshment to those around you. The greatest rest is found as we fix our eyes on Christ. That is what the fourth commandment is about. In our resting and in our worshiping, we are together looking at Christ who gives us rest. God is kind to call us to remember who he is as the one who keeps the world running. He is the one who provides for your family. He is the one who gives you strength. He is the one who has finished the work on the cross. He has freed you from your endless striving by himself being what satisfies. Trust in him this week, church. You who are tired, you who are weary, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, come to Christ and you will find rest. Let's pray.